0: Welcome to the Mocking Cast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in a few moments I'll be joined by my co hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every other week to discuss a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us. Happy New Year, you guys. Here we are, 2023. How are the holidays? How's the, What's your outlook on the new year? Give it give, give it to me. What, what do you got? Sarah, resolutions. You, yeah, obviously. You've oh, got my gosh. A lot of changing I, I have the an answers to
1: all there. those even resolutions. So, thank you really? for asking. Yes. Okay. This is my first year to do a resolution. Lay it on um, us. I did not think I would have another happy Christmas after we lost mom and dad. Um, and I thought if I did, it would be when I had grandkids. Like I was like, it's not going to be anytime soon. And I had such a wonderful Christmas. It was just mm. even before we went to Disney, <laughs> it was really, really special and happy and like just so grounding. So thank thank God, praise God for that. I mean, that's been huge. Um, I definitely feel uh, like a weight has kind of more grief has lifted. And I think that's made a big difference, like just mm. kind of in the past probably two months. So that has just been um, incredible, but my resolution, (laughs) so I don't know how open I was about this, but some people turn to pills when they go through horrible things. Some people turn to the bottle. I went to Madewell, the store that you can buy cute clothes, and I bought like everything that they made in my size. Um, yeah, and it made well was my coping mechanism for a while, as were other places. Frank and Eileen, I see you, girl. Um, I retail spent a lot therapy of money.
2: They, Retail therapy, yes, as they say. which
1: everyone will say, like, oh, it's so much better than, you know, a substance. And it is, but it still costs things. So my New Year's resolution is I'm not allowed to buy any clothes all year.
0: Cause all, year? I have all year? All year? A whole year? All year.
1: Y'all, oh. I have so many clothes. Like, I, I really have to take a step back. So... Um,
0: well, now yeah. that you've said it to however many people are listening, I'm
1: held to it,
0: Sarah. You're you're held, I'm held, to, held it, to
1: it, yeah. or you'll
0: just be made when fun you of see, incessantly when you see Sarah, every time. In, in Aeropostale, rebuke her. Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean <laughs> now, for Sarah, so many reasons. That <laughs> looks like this
0: season. I don't know <laughs> what. <laughs> right. That's, right. so, she, yes. that's
1: my that yeah i it's it's been um it's been kind of freeing you know i went in uh anthropology which i love to spend money on and their clothes are very expensive um a couple weeks ago and i had this sense of freedom that i literally just didn't have to look at anything
2: mm, there you so, go so we'll freedom see.
1: the we'll enabling
0: see. word before, before we hear from uh the, the reverend RJ. Heyman. um What's your what's the hot take on on Disney? What what, what what do people need to avoid? Tell us tell us what I'm supposed to be Dave, going there I, in a I few months. Say this. Tell me, and
1: I, and I say this knowing that you haven't you done you've done Disney when the kids were younger as well, right?
0: Yeah, and I'm about to I'm almost likely gonna do it. It, my youngest has never been, and he's okay. seven, and he's obsessed. Because
1: okay. so. I remember a video of you dancing, pushing a stroller in to Magic yep. Kingdom. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. I thought of that. It was
0: joy. It. That was a total joy moment. Yep. So
1: my read on Disney is you're a psycho if you've got a kid that's young enough to be in a stroller. If you're going to Disney, no offense, Dave. I think you're a total psycho. And I think if you bring a baby to Disney, CPS should come to a clean sweep and take the infant from you because you're not a fit parent.
0: No, the so kid who was my- in... The- Sarah, the kid who was in that stroller, (laughs) Uh our our second child... it was the most epic meltdown of I think oh. all three of our children I've never experienced I mean, of all full time. body spasms, scratching yeah. my face as yeah. we were trying to leave. It was yeah. I, 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 I sign on to <laughs> it's what you're insane. saying. No, because... it's like at
1: four PM everyone it becomes like the Hunger Games. You know what I mean? Like it right. just gets really it's like no, it's like purge. It's worse than that. Like at four PM all the families turn on each other at Disney, no matter where you are. We had so. this experience
0: where we were trying to get out of Main Street, USA, and there was oh, yes. like a dance party that was trapping us in oh there. Oh, my God, I love And so it was that. this unbelievably upbeat song. It was like a Katy Perry-type song, oh. and all these uh, – everyone's dancing, and there's it's the choreographed stuff. And I have a, a two-year-old who's clawing my eyes out because you cannot get away from the stores. And uh, Kate just uh, – my wife always says, you know, that was – that was the low point like i don't think I we mean, get it was hell hell <laughs> yeah. to that upbeat to yes. be trapped and totally. people crushing Literally it on trapped you trapped
1: by choreography i mean that's yeah. just
0: well hey, mr Heyman, i yes. saw a picture of your church on epiphany sunday jam-packed rj baptizing the entire world
2: and doing it was
1: seven right looks like
2: he's doing seven, his yeah. job yeah that's amazing it was, yeah. a, it was a not emptying really the church after all it was uh, not yet, you know, mm. not this this coming Sunday, maybe. But yeah, we had over. I was so happy. We had well over four hundred people in worship on Sunday, which um, long time members said it was easily the largest sort of regular Sunday we've had in decades. That's so um, great. So really encouraging, and like our men's group this morning was standing room only. So we got to, like moved to a different too. group, a uh, different room, and things are really pretty good right now. Things are kind of you know popping. I uh, had a great Christmas and I uh, just really laid low. Didn't did not do Disney World after yeah, Christmas. Well. Josh is a saint. I'm not that good of a person. <laughs> um, so we just stayed home and watched movies. It was actually cold in Florida mm-hmm. for a few years. Cold mm-hmm. and wet and rainy, which was lovely because we yeah. stayed in our pajamas and Aww. watched movies. And then when it got nice, we went to the beach. And, um, you know, I played some tennis and laid low. And it was, it was really great. So I'm pretty encouraged right now. I'm looking forward to a good... 2023. So nice. that's the Hayman Report. Wow.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: there was nothing at all happened in my life over the break. It was very boring. I'm just kidding. My older brother, who some people know from the Brothers Zoll podcast, John got married and to Sarah Beth Turner, uh, the most wonderful person. Mm. And that happened in... Uh, New York City on the 30th and um, I'm sad you guys couldn't come but it was um, it was truly just a joyful r- redemptive uh, fun quirky it was you know f- for me it involved wrangling my three boys into all sorts of like fancy clothes that they it was very you know, fancy clothes. I saw that Do so not like, like very AC d- it was very ACDC <laughs> oh my gosh I mean we got she, she ordered <laughs> outfits from Spain like page boy outfits from Spain and I was just worried. I was worried my kids weren't actually going to fit into them, but it, it it all worked out. Jacob Smith was the efficient. It was a wonderful time. It was it was a lot of travel. It was you know definitely one of those need a vacation from your vacation, but mm-hmm. to watch uh, this happen for John and um, after you know just yeah it was it was and I, I my new sister in law is just phenomenal and she's an
1: old Miss girl. I mean, she's what old Miss you want? girl? What yeah. more could you want?
0: It's, it's been, yeah, and,
2: and to take the boys there might, through... There might be a God. There Manhattan. might be a God right. who there actually is God. on our side mm-hmm. at least some of the time.
1: And he well, sends all Miss girls.
2: Well, actually, mm. in fact, the, the,
0: the guy who preached, this wonderful guy named David Kim preached, and he said, uh, if you ever need sort of proof of God's love and exi- his existence, but also God's love, just look at one another. Because it's that oh. mir- miraculous of a kind of it a is. It set is. of circumstances, and if uh, but so that was us, and now we're back. And Sarah, you sent us the the the, the funniest video. Um, oh, I loved yeah. it. Stephen Colbert. Um, uh, she, he was uh, uh, interviewing uh, Quinta Brunson, who's from mm-hmm. Abbott Elementary, and who's mm-hmm. really that, the that...
1: creator and director and everything of Abbott Elementary. And yeah.
0: she just you know they, they've they've extreme. It was a very good year for yeah. p- anyone yeah. involved with that show. The Golden Globes. They just have won y'all a bunch watched
1: of... this show before.
0: I have not gotten there, but um... you
1: have to watch it because neither of you really went to real public school, and it's so f- deeply familiar to me as a kid who went to real public school. So really. You gotta watch it.
0: Yeah. Well, he's speaking with her, and he's, um, she's dressed to the nines, and she looks amazing. Yeah. And he says, yeah. he says, 2022 was a big year for you. You won an Emmy. You were named one of Time's 100 most influential people, one of People Magazine's People of the Year. Do you feel the need to one up that? And she responds immediately. She says, I want to one down it. <laughs> I want to. I want to rest. Last year was such an incredible year for everyone, for myself, for my show, for my family, for my friends. And I love sleep. Today I slept before I came here. I took a nap. I'm normally not a napper, but I did one today. I did it for 30 minutes, woke up feeling recharged and renewed. So I kind of want to get into naps this year. That's my goal. See what (laughs) naps can do. (laughs) <laughs> and Love you know that. we just released that uh, amazing sleep issue of the magazine and we highlighted the the nap ministry which I think we talked about ages ago on the Mockingcast, yeah. um but sort of naps as resistance naps as grace naps yeah. as sort of just uh, reclaiming the human being versus the human doing but Sarah tell me why you why you liked this video so much that you sent it to us
1: I loved the the quick response of like I'm going to wind down mm-hmm. um and I, I know that she is incredibly accomplished in ways that n- none of us will be. But um, to me, the winding down just hits this note that's so familiar to me of, like, who's in front of me that I've been given to love and take care of versus, like, what are all the, like, accomplishments that I'm going to, you know, in, in whatever professional capacity I'm in. And that, you know, that plagues church workers just as much as it plagues – I mean, it plagues clergy as much as it plagues anybody else – you know, what if, what if it's this year is not me trying to, you know, um, lay out some arduous pyramids that I've got to climb. And what if instead it's these people in front of me that I've been given to love. And so I, I kind of heard that, um, in her, in her talking, cause she did talk about, it was interesting. It wasn't just, I'm tired. It's my friends are tired. My family is tired. The people I work with are tired. And um so you can tell she thinks a lot about those people. Yeah. And I just there was something about that that was really touching to me and and really relatable. I mean I'm, you know, I I my own life has made such a huge shift, you know, um I mean I feel bad saying this in front of the day, but I haven't written anything for the website in such a long time. And it's hard for me to imagine writing right now. It's still hard for me to imagine writing, right? And at the same time, like my my big responsibility today at home has been making sure that all the cheerleaders at the kids' school have homecoming moms, and that feels sweet and tender and connected and like what I need. And so I, I you know, I, I realize I'm reading a lot into what she said, but for me, that it just resonated in that way.
0: Well, it's it's very countercultural in what she said because yeah. some would say that she's her star is rising so much that she can't. Uh, you know, a, a right. football player don't lose his opportunity. Uh, yeah, what a, a football stupid player. thing to someone, do right now! Right? Anyone in sports yeah. is like, this isn't going to come again. You know, you yeah. better maximize your potential. Yeah. That's the conventional wisdom, and she's saying, totally. "I want to one down it next year. Have a not ha- not have to kind of like be continually improving." RJ, what yeah. what's uh,
2: you know, as someone who just had the RJ. largest <laughs> service of all time, and and. uh and no. is uh, embarking on a master planning process, a potential capital campaign <laughs> like a year from really now. And, down, uh, what do you buddy? say something that yeah, will alienate I'll, all of I'll your I'll have two, two children in college at the same time mm-hmm. next year. And um, my wife has started a new business. And uh, yeah, I guess, well, I had a funny interaction with a really wonderful guy in my church recently where my wife and... Uh, middle Sun are gonna be out of town this weekend. And so I said, hey, do you have time for tennis? And he said, well, I actually am already. I have a doubles match at that time. He said, but hey, what times are good for you? Uh, and I said, actually, I don't have any good times. I don't have any good regular times. But I said, but I should. I should work on that this year. And he wrote back. He said, yes. He's like, I think a standing weekly tennis match with me is a good goal for 2023. <laughs> and I agree with it. It's so such a lo- lovely it's thing so to say. so
1: sweet. Yeah.
2: But there's no way. Yeah. I just don't think I could give my permi- myself permission. That's great,
1: permission and also I can't, yeah.
2: To do that, um, I wish that I could. And I will say another thing. Um, we found out today, you know, we went to this really, Jamie and I went to this wonderful Presbyterian church in college called uh, First Pres Berkeley, California, which really is a great church. And we have three college friends who became Presbyterian pastors. Oh, my God. Um, the third of them, they all three now have left the ministry. Yeah. Whoa. Two went into sort of nonprofit um, Christian work, and which is, that's fine. That's adjacent, you know, pastoring sure. adjacent. And one um, uh, started working for a, a local school as kind of their um, tech consultant. Mm-hmm. And it was just striking. It was just like very, and these are great, wonderful gospel preaching guys. And I don't really know why. I don't know the full backstory behind all of those. And maybe that was a great thing. But, um, it just it, – it, it drives home that this is a, – it's a hard line of work to be in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I just – I guess for those of you who are pastors listening, just like you're – you know, it's hard. And I want to acknowledge that. And for those of you who know pastors or worship with pastors, like, no, no – I mean, it's hard for, out there for everybody. But it's a hard – it's a demanding line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah. wear a lot of hats. And it's been a hard time. And anyway, so I I love that she said, I'm going to, you know – one down myself this mm. next year i would love to be able to say that at some some year in the near future but my head might my head might baby. explode <laughs> that's right that exactly sabbatical 2020
1: also aren't they a monthly tennis appointment like
0: let's start smaller I think mommy, I don't mean
2: that's therapeutic right weekly it, is
0: weekly is ambitious yeah, yeah. I, was, I was sharing my resolutions with someone because you know for years I, I especially with mockingbird and kind of our aversion totally. to the, the, the law we're and discipline. very nihilistic we've yes. had a, a sort of like no re- re- resolutions of the worst and everything and they tend to yes they tend to illustrate the lack of willpower that people actually have over the long haul and our inability to change ourselves yada 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 but I've noticed a bunch of people that are sort of involved it sort of circle our ministry that it kind of mm-hmm. have have, have, have re embraced them from it from a place of like realistic expectation but sort sure. of like hey it'd be nice to to have the freedom to actually engage with this again um which i've s- take as a sign of maturity but um i i have an actual resolution and it's not meant to be a funny resolution but i realized when i said it the other day it it, it maybe fit into that category but part of the work of you know here here we are having 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 uh you know um I guess dumped on therapy a little bit last year, but like my therapy, part of my therapy has been uncovering just how frightened I am of disappointing people, Mm. of disappointing supervisors and bosses and parents Mm. and spouses and children and just Mm -hmm. myself and everyone and uh, the the actual God. God. (laughs) Um, the actual resolution is I wanted to disappoint people more. In 2023. And so, to that end, like I've actually taken some active steps. I canceled four uh, stops on the book tour that I had taken on, which would have been fun. And I would have loved to see the people. But Good for like, you, Dave. I'm going to cancel these. And just uh, because it also means I can disappoint someone, too. So I'm like excited about that. Good. And um, yeah, just trying to. Uh, I've, I've talked to my supervisor here at the church, wonderful Paul Walker, about adjusting my job description so that I can basically disappoint him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And. Um, that's my you know it's sort of a bit like taking in one downing it, or it, yeah it, and, and for me, in fact, it's much harder to do that than to try to continue to achieve and believe and to crush it or something like that it, it, spiritually and emotionally and just personally um it 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 is a harder thing to um uh, there's no benefit to me outside of like, there's no, or there's no sort of career benefit. There's, there's only, a, I guess, a personal benefit of having a little bit more space, a little bit more bandwidth. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, which look is to-
1: huge. You're just like a personal benefit, but yeah, like <laughs> huge. <laughs> so, uh, this is the massive. final episode
0: of the Mockingcast. Yeah. I want to, it's wanna- been great. <laughs> <laughs> but, I just am We're excited dying. to uh, to uh, to disappoint the two of you. So you, you'll you'll Great. love you'll love this, this you'll love this uh, resolution until it actually
2: <laughs> until I'm like RJ. I can't talk to you. I'm so sorry. Uh, I just so don't want. to. I will say this is this is not a, exactly <laughs> C- click. Uh, this is not a resolution. But I'm re- I will say I uh, I connected with a therapist. Yesterday, oh, you know, for day. the first time in a while, which is Good. really, I, I need yeah. I to do that. See,
1: we like therapy. Y'all.
2: We so, do like
0: therapy. Well, let's I do get like, into uh, yes, the, the second, uh, um, the second item here, which is another resolution New Year's related thing. I know we've talked about it briefly before. But it's the meaning of dry January. We're in dry January. New York, uh, sorry, excuse me, the Atlantic. Caroline Mims-Nice interviewed a philosopher named Edward Slingerland, who's the author of Drunk, How We Sipped, Danced, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization. And one of the things she mentions, which is in relation to an article in Wired, is that apparently one-fifth of the population is doing dry January this year.
2: Whoa, I it's mean, all over the internet. Let me say it's massive. All,
1: I mean, I'm doing I thought it, maybe, Josh is doing it. I thought it, maybe so the like, internet was
2: just speaking to me personally.
1: I guess we're in the trend. I was, yeah, I was taking it very
2: wild.
0: personally. Well, one one fifth is a lot of people. Now, this, we, we, I think we traced the history of Dry January a few years ago, but it started in England. And yeah. it's, she's sort of uh, interested in sort of this, this is reflective of a relationship with alcohol, an American relationship with alcohol that needs readjusting. Mm-hmm. And so, um, she asks the philosopher who thinks about this constantly, what you, what's going on? He says, I think things like dry January are ways for people to try to reassert some kind of control, to reestablish some safety features, and the safety features around alcohol that he feels had been removed, were When we distilled things and made them more powerful, and when, you know, lots of uh, people don't drink, they drink alone, and, and, and all those sorts of things. He says, I refer to alcohol as the king of intoxicants because it's far and away the dominant intoxicant that's used across the world throughout history. And there's a good reason for that. It's very easy to dose. It has very predictable effects across individuals. It's easy to make. It goes well with food. There's a reason when, when you go to a restaurant, you're given a wine, not a cannabis list. Now, nice. That's common. But, <laughs> she says, with the <laughs> pandemic in particular, there's been a problem of overconsumption. But at the same time, there's also been a lot of loneliness. It almost feels like alcohol in moderation could help us with the latter, with loneliness. How do you think about the overcompensation problem versus the social benefits? He says, it's tricky. The pandemic was basically a natural experiment that you would never get human subject approval for. Let's see what happens if no one's allowed to leave their house, but they can order a case of tequila from their local taqueria. It was the extreme version of drinking in isolation, which was really unhealthy. People tried to keep using alcohol in a social way with things like Zoom cocktail hours, but that didn't work very well. In fact, there's a new study out by researchers, including the University of Pittsburgh's Michael Sayet, uh, that in face-to-face social interactions, alcohol is very helpful. It relaxes people. It makes them far less self-conscious. makes them bond better. But they found that in online interaction, it actually has the reverse effect. It makes you more self-conscious. Then she asks, like, well, what do you do? She says, you mimic healthy cultures. Some cultures do have healthier drinking practices than others. Anthropologists refer to Northern versus Southern European drinking cultures. Northern drinking cultures tend to be binge drinkers. They tend to drink hard alcohol primarily, often in groups of men by themselves or women by themselves alcohol is forbidden to kids, it's kind of taboo, and the purpose of drinking is to get drunk. Uh, Southern European cultures, it's much more social. There's a frown on getting drunk, but people drink with their grandparents, etc., you know, French, Spanish. Um, But then he says this, Sarah, and this is interesting for, for you and I in our current sort of role. Anglophone college culture is kind of the worst version of northern drinking cultures. Oh, man. Because it's kids without fully developed prefrontal cortexes te- doing it, and they're drinking distilled liquors. If you want to design the unhealthiest drinking culture imaginable, it would be college drinking culture. <laughs> I agree with that, by the way. I I, yeah. I see that the... the I mean, I uh, I remember being at... Uh, the president of the University of Virginia here had called a bunch of ministers to to talk about sort of the Culture of what goes on at the university and how to help the kids spiritually. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk about assault and sexual mm-hmm. assault, and that was a real problem here and other things. But I, there was an unwillingness to, to talk about binge drinking, which to me was inextricably linked and was the big elephant in the room. That, like, right, it, that that, I mean, I, no one wants assault, but um, right, what do we expect when people are drinking this much alcohol? I just don't, um. Right. And that's so seen as the glue that every tailgate revolves around every it's it's a it's a massive cultural issue. And so dry January to me is a sign of hope, a recalibration. Um I don't know if it has any chance of actually working over the long haul, but um I don't know. Sarah, RJ, what do you think about this? Dry January. It
2: I mean Jamie and I have been talking about sort of drinking. Um and it reminds me of Jim Gaffigan said something like, you know, the first time you have a drink, you're like, this is terrible. This doesn't even taste good. You know, and then you get a little bit older in your 20s and stuff. And you're like, oh, this is, very, this is very helpful to, you know, ease my social interactions with people. This is kind of fun. And then you get older and you have kids and you have a job and you're tired all the time. And you're like, this is the only thing that makes life worth living. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And I will not say I'm there. It's not the only thing that makes life worth living. But... When you get home after a, a long day of work and you're not remotely done You still have to cook dinner and do homework and put kids to bed and yeah. you know um, There is something about having a drink or two which makes all those things a little bit Easier and more fun, you know, yeah. and I'm not and and I I just think that's true But it can it can very easily be a crutch you use to, to deal with the insanity of your life Um, And that's a little bit scary to be honest with you Um, So I've never done try January, but like I said it's been coming up in my social media feeds a lot And I'm like is Mark Zuckerberg trying to tell me something (laughs) Um, But apparently it's a society-wide phenomenon and it's actually don't need to take it personally no, uh, but but our—I mean—a lot of I know a lot of priests who have been, um, you know, like Erin Jean Ward has written a lot about. you Yeah, know, she's uh, a whole book. Yeah, a whole thing on our relationship so with alcohol, yeah. and especially in sort of an Episcopal Anglican context where we sort of pride ourselves on not being teetotalers. Right. Uh, there's a dark side. To oh, that I'm, well. totally. I'm so sick of We need of, to be very careful. Episcopal Church
0: just uh, smug I, jokes about. Alcohol, it's like alcohol, to me, it's, to me, it's yeah. like great. You know what? I, I've dealt with the fallout of alcoholism among sort of right. we- wealthy, privileged, waspy right. folks yes. for years yes. who, who have right. terrible taste in food, but extremely refined taste in alcohol. And you're just like, I'm, uh, I'd much rather go to the, the Jewish cedar and eat a ton of food and have terrible wine. Like, that's, that's totally where, where I'm at. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's, that's may, hey, that maybe that sounds self hating there. Uh, Sarah, what um, I, I, I grew up with parents that don't really drink. And yeah. I realize as I get older that that's fairly very
1: unusual.
0: Unusual, yeah, um, especially unusual. A, a father who would have a glass of wine every once in a while, but was not a beer drinker, and that just wasn't yeah. a part of our lexicon. But yeah, uh, Sarah, what, what do you what do you think about this?
1: Well, it's interesting. I didn't grow up with parents who drink either. So you know, my dad didn't even take communion wine, and then my mother—I didn't see a bottle of wine in our house till I had gone to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, Drinking, like, I didn't ever think of it as, like, a fundamentally normal thing that people do every day. Um, And, you know, Josh and I have very different backgrounds, right? Because I have this, like, super Southern Baptist, also lots of alcoholics uh, family. And he has his own alcoholism, right, Um, by way of Ireland. And then his family owned the last independent whiskey distillery in the country, Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah. So we even newly married very different cultures around alcohol. And so it's something we have talked about our whole marriage. Mm. Um, And I, I, I actually think that's really healthy. I think married couples, because alcohol can be such a huge part of our culture, especially if you're in church work in the Episcopal Church, it's such a huge part of our culture. And so how do we navigate it? You know, how do we do it without judgment, but also like, how do we make good choices for ourselves is a thing that we talk about a lot. And you know, we decided to do dry January. We've done it in previous years.
0: How did it, how's it worked?
1: I mean, I love it honestly, because I'm, but I, I the thing RJ I thought you're about to say that I think is really true is while we know, yes. And this article says that alcohol affects people in different ways or alcohol affects people generally in the same way. I would say that some of us, it affects more than others. Mm. And I'm the kind of person that if I have a glass of wine the night before, like I'm talking like a four to five ounce glass of wine the night before I would feel done. very fuzzy the next day. Wow. And I won't even realize it. And that, that has been the bizarre thing about sort of drinking culture now is because I didn't grow up with adults who had a glass of wine every day. And so sometimes when I take these long breaks, I do have an overwhelming feeling of, have I just been walking around fuzzy for the past 11 months? Huh. You know, cause I feel very clear right now. Mm. Um, and so that's a, that's real. I mean, you know, that's a, like we have to say these things. Um, yes. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, alcohol is like the one drug we all decided is okay. I, and I know, I mean, and I say that I, you know, I love mezcal, I love wine. I have these things in my house. Like I will go back and have, I'm sure, a drink in February. But it's the one drug we've all decided is okay. So yeah, yeah.
2: And going to yes, going to a liquor store is just. It struck me. It's so. Weird. There are yeah. so many There's varieties so, yeah. of a single drug. It's yeah. just like That's, the way we about that, fetishize yeah. it, yeah, and um, all the different levels and and costs, and it's just it's a, it's a really weird thing. You
0: know, I don't yeah. think yeah. I
2: ever told you guys, but the year after I graduated from college, I actually worked
0: for a think tank in Washington that was funded by the alcohol industry, and it was funded what? by like Brown Foreman and uh, Bacardi and uh, these these huge, um, and, and we. We were we were sort of it was like a yeah trying to put out intellectual like papers position papers about moderation and and all this stuff and it was it was pro drinking but pro moderation you know it was mm-hmm. and um, it's so interesting to me how much I'd had no idea how much money that like Budweiser for example made and that right. and that the the biggest brand recognition in the entire world is Johnny Walker. Like, that's over over what? Nike. Is John, over McDonald's. Over McDonald's is, is, is the, the highest... I mean, that's what, that's what I was told during that right. time. And by the right. way, there was plenty of really nice people that I worked with during that time. Oh, really? and, um but then you you go out of it and you're like, wait a second, why have we all decided that that one is okay? Especially once okay. you have you know deal with people who got real addiction and um, for whom alcohol is simply a destroyer. So I'm a totally. person that I, I I'm like I drink occasionally and very rarely, but I find that the dry January thing um, it, it has been interesting. My my wife's always telling me about it. there's the, the the non-alcoholic sort of mocktail space has yes. become very active. You're like. Katy Perry's started. Like, yeah, oh, I've
1: almost ordered her thing ever and <laughs> over again. But yes. it's,
0: it's like a very thing. And, and in, in this article, they actually talk about how Gen Z has gotten much more into... Uh, marijuana, and then like yeah. psilocybin, um, you know, to micro dosing and stuff like that. And this guy in the interview is like, well, it's never actually going to take on it's just too culturally entrenched uh, alcohol. You know, you just think of all of French cuisine ever, you know, that's just not going to be overturned anytime,
1: which is so beautiful, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing is like the pairing of wine with food or beer with food or liquor with food. Can be such a beautiful. I mean, when I pull out a bottle of mezcal, and I'm very careful about. It, I want it. I'm. I'm not buying into this George Clooney nonsense. I want to know, like, the little farm it came from, and that there are farmers that grow agave. Like, that is beautiful to me. So it's, yeah, you know, and it's, it's all also, there. It,
2: it's also it's certainly time tested. Time tested. <laughs> yeah. you know, it goes back a long time. <laughs> but it's,
0: po- it's like the hymnal. Its popularity yeah. attests to the fact that life is hard. Life hymnal. is hard, and it's full of pain. And people, yes, it is. People want to take Need a little the relief. edge off and a little relief. And so yes. I don't. You want to sort of, as a pastor. Uh, or yeah. a pastorally oriented person, you want to be like, you don't want to blame people for wanting to ex- oh my gosh, to, to, no. to also be able to connect and that you see no. people who are so yeah. uptight and anxious and finally being able to talk. And this guy's book basically says that without alcohol, lots of social progress would have never happened Um and the church, you know, totally was, it has a wine at the center. So like, to- it's, you well,
1: I just, so yesterday I, w- I had my first lunch back with my students and one of them was talking about, I mean, they take these incredible history classes and, and one of them was talking about, there was some big, big questions class. And, and the, the question was basically like, how do you get people to care? You know, like, how do you get people to care about war? How do you get people to care about poverty or whatever? And so they're all talking. And and then finally, you know, one of the other students is like, well, well, what was the solution? What did you guys come up with? And they were like, Oh, and I was like, suffering, suffering is how you get people to care. You know, like it's, I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it's, there's something, I mean, we're all, we're all sufferers and this is a, an easy, inexpensive, uh, readily available way to cope with it sometimes. And that's real. And
0: it's, so. it, it is fascinating yeah. to see that. Yeah. The science says that the social benefits of alcohol not only don't exist when you're drinking alone, they mm-hmm. backfire. And yeah. so you have people during the pandemic already cope. The, the very thing that they're using to cope is making the problem worse. And that's, yeah. I think we've seen a lot of that. And people who are in, in people work or church work or therapists, like, it 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 didn't just not help it it made things a lot worse and and so the it, it, com- the combination of like anger and alcohol i usually when I've dealing in the past with people who are supremely angry um at the, either blowing up with you at church or online or terrible mm-hmm. things um Look for the alcohol <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just, just before, yeah. you, before you try to engage them on any other level, you need to yeah. see if... That's just a, a, a tip from, uh, I guess, 43 per years of, of living. No. Um, this next item is from Freddie DeBoer, who we've talked about before. He's this very f- interesting um, kind of a commentator online, and he wrote something called, The Creative Underclass is Still Raging. Mm. He's right. The internet famously is full of negative emotion. And there are all kinds of angry people on it. You have conservative anger over an evolving culture, liberal angst over the continued salience of reactionary populism, leftist fury over our our inability to make anything happen. You have impossibly defensive stands, taking to the digital ramparts to defend their favorite pop singers. And you have the wails of those whose favorite art forms are dying. You have angry conspiracy theorists and angry fact checkers and angry gamers and angry redditors and angry feminists and angry libertarians and angry anarcho-primitivists and angry guys That's with me. <laughs> and angry guys with podcasts who are under the misapprehension that they're funny. <laughs>
1: That's y'all.
0: <laughs> when it comes to anger online, our cup overfloweth. He says, I have no possible way to be scientific about what I'm going to lay out to you, but I think that in the cacophony of constant online anger, there's a kind of person that plays an outsized role in the tenor of ugliness and resentment that permeates our online life. And it looks more or less like the creative underclass. I'm talking about people, almost always college educated, most gainfully employed, who have unrealized dreams in creative industries like movies, novels, journalism, music. They have positions in the world that are, by international comparison, quite comfortable, and yet they're angry all the time because of thwarted ambition and the sense that they were meant for more than comfort. Sometimes these people have actually tried and failed in various creative endeavors, but my sense is that many of them have never actually made an honest try at a creative field. Uh, perhaps too embarrassed to dream big and fail. They're nevertheless possessed of a deeply ingrained cultural expectation that they're supposed to desire more than middle-class stability and the fruits of contemporary first-world abundance. These people look out at the world filled with creators creating... Look at the considerable benefits they accrue, and they want. They want what others have, and want breeds resentment, especially when it's so plain that some of the people who have succeeded have done so despite no clear advantage in talent, worth, or effort. And they have ample laptop and phone time, so, so much laptop and phone time, and are perpetually bored. It's all a recipe for an entire class of people who spend their time taking out the resentment engendered by unfulfilled creative dreams on anyone who they see as an undeserving success. Ultimately, I think all we can do is further commit to a project we should be engaged in anyway, shattering the myth of just deserts, reminding people that they don't control their own destinies, insisting on the truth that chance and path dependence play huge roles in our lives, giving no ground to the myth of self of the self-made man. I believe I'm very good at what I do but I'm exquisitely aware that if a few things had broken differently for me, I never would have enjoyed the opportunity to write as my only job. I wish there was a good way to drain the internet of all its envy and resentment. Until we find one, all we can do is remind people that what you do for a living is not a referendum on your value. We can and must achieve a world where everyone has food, shelter, clothing, but we can never achieve one where everyone enjoys public acclaim. And you have to find a way to deal with that. You wanted more, and you got less, and it hurts.
2: (laughs) There's an article for you guys. Feels a little judgy, <laughs> maybe. like, I'm like okay. says says the guy who feels pretty good about himself. Like, <laughs> yeah, ah, we, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, That's it's, interesting. It's, it's
0: I think he's trying to wrestle with the fact that there is so much. And I cut out a lot of the article
2: where he's there's more caveats. But is he talking about himself though at all? Is yes. He, is he talking about a time? Does he talk about a time when he was similarly angry before he achieved glorious notoriety? Uh, yes, he does. But he, how do we account for the uh, in sort enormous amounts of rage
0: that we uncover he says basically rage is is a is a constant across all corners of the internet
1: i was just when he says the thing about like if you drain the internet of like rage and envy and it's like okay so like I guess Mockingbird and Jay Cruz still have websites. Like I'm just like, what
0: is that? Look uh, like? Made well, exactly. made well, Sarah. <laughs> made they, well. they better. They're great. doing the work
1: of the Lord out there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I just. um, I mean, I hear him. Yes, everything he's saying is is yeah. There's a lot of rage out there, but you know, we all seem to carry a tremendous amount of it ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and thank God I'm Christian. I don't, you know, because for me, right? Like I learn over and over again that, uh, I didn't earn my rage either, Mm. you know, like, um, and I've, I've actually been given the, the, the promise of hope Mm. in place of it. And so, so my rage actually doesn't belong to me. Um, and I think I used to, to have a lot more rage, uh, I mean, when I was younger, probably before I experienced such great tragedy, it's hard for me to get as angry as I used to now. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it does make me... So, so there's this one thought I'm having, and you can cut this out because this is like the Southern history moment no one asked for, but when the Civil War was being fought and plantation owners who had enslaved people wanted, you know people across the south to fight on behalf of the confederacy they basically made the idea of having slaves aspirational for poor whites Mm. and that's how they got them to fight like well someday you know which was never going to happen and then a ton of them died (laughs) in the civil war and you know it does there's a little bit of crossover for me there that it's like bar it was like borrowed rage mm. that got them to fight and then it killed them you know and i i do think i don't even know if our the rage is ours cuz i think we borrow rage i mean i think a lot of us lead lives of incredible numbness. Now Hmm. we find ways to numb ourselves and I think there's alcohol, but I think there's nothing more numbing than a scroll screen. Mm. You know what I mean? Then like scrolling through, I think there's nothing more numbing. And I think if we do that enough and I speak for myself, if I do that enough, there becomes a point at which I feel like I need to feel something. And rage is the easiest way to feel something. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes total sense to me that, that you know, all these things are correlated.
2: Yeah. The one thing he says I completely agree with yeah. is that not all anger, but a large portion of anger is undealt with pain. Mm. Something that hurts. Totally. Something you're mourning and you you just can't, you don't want to and you can't sit yeah. in the pain and deal with the pain. And so that becomes Rage. a combination of fear and anger, um, yeah. So I think that's just empirically true.
0: Totally.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think
1: like ninety percent. I would think, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, sometimes yeah. people
2: are angry because they've been treated very, very, totally. very badly, and they're yeah. justifiably angry, and that yeah. can happen. And and yeah. but even then, it's 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 still pain, and it's easier, much easier, to get angry than to say this hurts so badly, and I just need to go to bed for like a week.
0: Or well, a I think month. what he's uh, there's there's I what's interesting is to isolate this creative class of basically sort of like desk drawer novelists. And say you have a job where you're on, where you have to be, it's a quote unquote email job where you're just answering emails all the time. And most of the day, you're also spending looking at, in other tabs at at basically other people's lives. You're consuming content, they're the influencer thing. And you're sort of, there's a real proximity to all of these people that you feel like you could almost be. And so your life becomes this rage about the life you didn't you're not leading or or that it's the unfairness. And I um I think there's something true about that. I think it also it applies to other it, it contributes to that if you are at a computer all day and you are constantly being exposed to people who achieved dreams that you didn't or you're angry at yourself for not even trying, well then you also have an outlet for venting that rage that you think is sort of feels good, but it actually does affect this cloud out there that that affects us all. But then... um because I because I, I think other p- people are angry too about they not getting what they feel they deserve. I always feel like the way you can make people most angry, and the way that Jesus made people angry, frankly, when he was when the when the religious leaders, when the Pharisees got so mad, it was because he felt they felt that he was ta- he was taking away what they felt they deserved, righteousness wise. they had been working so hard to be good and to get to get some sort of standing or status, uh, and any time you debunk. Or you mess with the ladder of deserving that that is sort of a mechanism of control in people's lives. They get extremely angry. I've noticed this. Uh, you know, if you if you take away something that someone feels that they earned, uh, or you refuse to give them something that they you you or you get something you don't haven't earned, um, nothing is more enraging. It's this it's this uh, relationship with deserving that I think is. Uh, interesting that he brings it to. Because as, you know, grace, if we're talking about grace and its absence, this sort of anger is directly related to the, is 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 kind of like um, very much related to grace and its absence. Totally. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's like my favorite sin I commit, you know, when I have that moment. I mean, I had it yesterday when I was standing in a line somewhere where I am like, but I deserve better treatment than this. I'm just like, floppy damn, you know, (laughs) like, it's just like every literally, but it just like, it's such a funny, like when you have that feeling, it's such a, a, a very day, it can be a daily feeling, but you know, the thing I keep thinking of, I was thinking, what is this making me what is this making me think of? And when we're talking about Jesus, we should talk about all the holy figures. (laughs) Beyonce had a song that came out um, a few months ago. That was, that was everywhere. Um, I don't think of you two as, as fans, but I'm sure you heard the song. You won't break my soul. Mm. And there were so many um, videos people did where they would use the, the lyrics, uh, uh, where she says now i just fell in love and i just quit my job i'm gonna find new drive damn they work me so hard work by nine then off past five and then they work my nerves that's why i can't sleep at night oh. and i mean it was everywhere for a minute mm. and and it was so deeply relatable for people and so i i i think rj's response initially was really good because i i I mean, I think we have to have a lot of compassion for ourselves, right? And, and being these sort of – I mean, I, what am I if not like a mid-level person that like has to answer emails a lot and like open doors on a desk? I mean, I, I do kind of feel like that a lot in my job. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of us are in that boat and, and I think rage is pretty tempting. so.
0: He, he wants people to, be, to, to try to be more honest. I mean, he's like, he's, it's, it's fine to be angry, but to pretend that you're angry about such and such an issue when you're really just totally. angry about your life. Right, and that's And that good. is, because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking, and I can't help but think about it a little <laughs> bit in terms of church f- folks, and I, I, I see that yeah. there are people that make a huge, very negative racket online in church circles or ministry circles, and then you kind of come to find out what they're doing, and they're just, they, they're, in, they're bored, like they're and and they're mad that their church isn't working really and so yeah. then they're taking yeah. it out on the R.J. Haymans of the world who you know you see that guy on online you and you're just
2: like one
1: glorious store you know, after screw another. that
0: guy I, I well <laughs> <I, laughs> yes I, I hate that, that guy, guy. <laughs> not that
1: he, we <laughs> found our title like, <laughs> screw that guy I hate that guy in parentheses R.J. Okay. <laughs>
2: Well, I do. I do want to say that what I what I have found is that something that's very effective with angry people is to tell them to relax a little bit. (laughs) That real that that works. Every time, just chill out, dude. (laughs) 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 Guaranteed homicide. Guaranteed (laughs) homicide. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's, yeah. it's it's interesting, and that guy
0: is always uh, he's he's got a lot to say. So, um, and maybe maybe the article itself is, is an is example of what he's talking about. He
2: might be speaking to himself a little. Um, I hope he. Well, is. let's let's
0: we're gonna move into a, a different area, but what that it also relates to some of what we're talking about. It, this is, came out on Christmas Eve, actually, by Molly Worthen in the New York Times. She asked, "How would you prove that God performed a miracle?" Oh it's a great long read and she profiles some some folks who have sort of made it their business to kind of look into miracles and confirm them and, and, and investigate um, but it, sort of midway through she gets to this huge split between uh, sort of Western, or at least Northwestern Christianity uh, and, and European Christianity, sort of the, the developing world Christianity. And this is what she says. She says, scholars estimate that 80% of new Christians in Nepal come to faith through an experience with healing or deliverance from demonic spirits. Perhaps as many as 90% of new converts who join a house church in China credit their conversion to faith healing. In Kenya, 71% of Christians say they have witnessed a divine healing, according to a 2006 study. Even in the relatively skeptical United States, 29% of survey respondents claim they have seen one. You can quarrel with the exact figures, but we are talking about millions of people who say something otherworldly happened to them. Yet most secular people, even many religious believers, are oblivious to this or shrug off miracle stories on principle as motivated reasoning, hallucination, or fraud. Then she talks about uh, a guy named uh, Ifanyi Chinadozi. When Ifanyi Chinadozi came to the United States for college in 2009, he was, quote, shocked as a young man from Nigeria at the discomfort in talking about spiritual experiences and marvelous things that happen as part of routine Christian discourse in Nigeria and across the world. Dr. Chinadozi went to medical school at Tufts University and is completing his residency in general surgery at the University of Maryland. He also leads a ministry called Healing Vessels International, which brings both prayer and medical resources to people in need.
1: That's amazing. He has been a
0: healing evangelist since the age of seven, when he said Jesus appeared to him in a dream and asked if he would like to heal people. In 2007, when he was in high school, a family sought his help to raise their mother, who had been declared brain dead, at the hospital. He told me that he initially refused because he had tried and failed to raise someone from the dead before. Finally, he agreed to pray over a bottle of olive oil for them. I lifted it up and said, Father, let this represent me and be unto this girl and her family as their faith has demanded in the name of Jesus Christ. They didn't thank me, just rushed out and I thought, I don't have to go with them and be embarrassed. Whatever happens, happens. He heard later that the woman's daughter poured the whole bottle onto her while praying, that the woman coughed and opened her eyes. The family gave a party to celebrate her recovery, where Dr. Chinadozzi said he met her. Dr. Chinadozzi told me that his family and friends address him as a man of God, but he stressed that the woman's recovery proved that he has no special powers, not even superhuman faith. He told me, people say God only works when you have faith. I don't think that's true. God sometimes Uh. overrides our unbelief and high-mindedness and proves himself to be God. He doesn't need our faith to be God. This, this article goes on. She, it's like the best thing I've ever heard in my life.
1: Your sermon's done for this week, folks. I don't even know what the gospel is. He says, like,
0: we're,
2: oh my gosh, yes.
0: Sarah's going to yes. love yes. This, this next part. She says, why are stories like this so much more common outside the West? Skeptics say that naturally people pray more often and overinterpret lucky breaks when they don't have antibiotics or doctors close by. Although
1: White people don't like spicy food.: Although
0: okay, the going. raising that Dr. Chinadoze described took place in a hospital. In the Bible, humans see wondrous signs of God's power where the gospel is spreading to new lands, and Jesus refuses to perform magic tricks for skeptical Pharisees, but heals those whose desperation drives them to faith. J: Ayodeji adewuya is a professor of New Testament at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary in Tennessee. He saw his share of miracles in his home country of Nigeria, including, he believes, the raising of his stillborn infant son after he spent 20 minutes shouting and pacing the room in prayer. I joke, you don't really need to pray the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread, when you have everything provided by Walmart and your fridge is full. When you're in a place where you have nothing and the only thing you can do is depend on God... At that point, you're expecting something. I'm going to keep going, but what do you make of this so far? (laughs) I'm on board, baby.
1: It's so good. I mean, I I think, I mean, you know, I've had several instances in my life that have felt miraculous. So, like, I do not doubt the power of miracles at all. Um, And I don't think that's because I'm special. And I don't think that's because I have a superhuman faith. I just think a, a lot of the times we just miss miracles. I think I've had a lot of miraculous things in my life. I think I've had a lot of miracles. I think I've missed a lot of miracles Mm. too. You know what I mean? Um, This is so powerful.
2: I'll say two things. It it totally resonates with what this guy I used to work with. His name is Timothy Halls. He was a missionary for many, many years in Brazil. And he said when he was working in Brazil, the conversion stories were always like this. Like I used to have cancer and then Jesus healed me and now I follow Jesus. Or I used to worship this other God and then I met this guy and I could tell that the God he worshiped was more powerful than the God that I worshiped and I asked him what God that was and he said Jesus and now I worship Jesus Mm -hmm. like it had nothing to do Well, and not that this isn't valid but had nothing to do with guilt and shame and forgiveness and redemption It was just demonstrations of spiritual power. He said that's just the way it was And I will say on the other hand. I feel like there have been a few miracles in our midst recently here at church like one guy I know who couldn't get out of bed for a few weeks because he was struggling with vertigo. And then someone prayed for him and he seems to have been healed.
1: That's amazing. You know,
2: or or, or a woman who dealt with, um, well, yeah, uh, bipolar disorder for years and years and years and years and years. In the last few months, she seems to have been healed. And another person I know whose son when struggles with mental illness and went missing and they um, thought they knew where he was and they drove to that town, which is a fairly big town. And they're like, we don't think we'll ever find him. They pull into a park and there he is, you know, like hun- hungry and skinny and cold, but they took him home. Um, these things do happen, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and the, el- the yeah. elephant in the room is one
0: that Worthen addresses in this remarkable article. She said, if God can heal, and why does he do it so rarely? Why doesn't he? Yeah. The world is full of suffering people who pray with no relief. She talked Mm. to one expert who said, even people who believe in miracles often don't pray for them because they're afraid of disappointment. I've had people die on my watch. It's incredibly painful. You ask, is it my fault? This uh, expert, Candy Brown, speculated that many Christians' belief that miraculous healing ceased after the New Testament times springs from, quote, protection against pain, protection against feeling ill will toward God or other people. It takes hope and vulnerability to be open to healing. For Christians, Worthen writes, it also takes spiritual maturity to remember that miracles are not the point. Miracles are signs meant to help humans see the greatest miracle of all, the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's ultimate intrusion into ordinary life, by which he will eventually wipe away all tears, according to the book of Revelation." I'm uh, deeply interested in this because I mean I'm a I'm a person who, as RJ you just said, like I, I happen to really love talking about guilt and forgiveness and shame and all those things. But I I do notice that when we in our especially our like, mainline tradition talk about like why aren't people coming to church like. Wh- People are looking for God, and they're looking for this. They're looking for relief from their pain. They're looking for supernatural healing. And if that's not just completely off the table, or people thumb their noses at it, and and she's saying millions and millions of people experience this, and yet uh, Westerners, are we just thumb our noses at all of it. I always find... Um, and it's becoming it becomes uncomfortable because, like, we're supposed to, uh, you know, in a kind of a post uh, multicultural world, we're supposed to really cede to the locals and sort of believe <laughs> um, people of color. And yet, here we are not believing an enormous part of their experience. I find it to be mm-hmm. a, 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 it needs to be pointed out. That, mm-hmm. um, it, that takes a lot of hubris and a lot of col- quote unquote colonialism to dismiss yeah. out of hand. I mean, I've always told people, I think that um, those, when, when you hear people say, oh, belief in God is just a crutch for poor people. I mean, I've heard college students and high school students say that to me. And you just <laughs> want to say, well, maybe the crutch is actually all the money and wealth that is Buffering us from our actual need for things, and that if when you when or maybe, maybe you could use a crutch. I mean, because your life is a disa- disaster. Yes, if it's a crutch, <laughs> you sign, sound sign me up. Miserable. I love crutches. I
1: love a crutch. me 4 <laughs> like, I'll find a give way. Me a to wheel, give, me, give me a
0: wheelbarrow. Give me a wheelbarrow. Carry, carry me in a wheelbarrow. Carry, carry me. me. <laughs> <laughs> I want one of those things like in Wally. You know, like where they just fill you up with soda all the time. <laughs>
2: Yes, please. <laughs> Unlimited Slurpees. <laughs> Unlimited Slurpees. Yes.
0: But you know what I mean. You want to say like, maybe yeah. people are a little closer to the reality of the world and life who yeah. don't aren't surrounded
2: by, you know, all of this material stuff. So I, I want to say, and I don't know when it happened exactly, but I completely relate to the whole thing of you. someone is sick or someone needs something and you're praying for them and you're, what is it? You're scared to disappoint them. You're scared to, that God's not gonna show up. And so you pray prayers like, Lord, if it be your will.
0: Whatever you say, you know, me. to accept I just your, you know,
2: you're, Yes, yeah. I, exactly. And at some point, I don't know when it is, I, I didn't completely stop doing that, but I sort of did stop, I don't know why. And I just started praying for whatever the person needed or wanted. And I don't know what to say, and I don't feel embarrassed about it anymore. I'm not sure I'm I'm not as scared as I used to be that that I'm going to um what is it that I'm going to disappoint God that my lack of faith is going to be made evident that my doubt is going to be I that I'm going to look bad that I'm going to make God look bad I don't make Jesus we're look sad. We're so bad. far away I, I, I guess from I stopped I've stopped defending. I've stopped defending. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's like God's gonna do what God's gonna do, and he just tells us to ask for what we want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he does it, and sometimes he doesn't, but... What is it, uh,
0: Bono ugh. says, stop helping God across the street like a little old lady. Like, it's, uh, it, he doesn't need your help. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I think that there... We need his. And, and people say, oh, well, this is such a such a strong ask. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're in any danger of praying with... Uh, too much expectation, like, like, what do we have to lose at this point? Uh, <laughs> uh, pray with faith, talk to actually God, not, not just an idea about God, I think. Um, I, I yes. find, and by the way, this article, there's like five other stories that she tells of educated people from all sorts of backgrounds who are like, and then the tumor turned into scar tissue, and we don't know what to make of it, but it just, the, the next day, he was okay. Like,
1: well, and I, I mean, I have a couple of different things I want to say, but I do want to say it's not always just physical, right? Like I think about that bizarre airport experience Josh and I had where we're like defending this woman we don't even know. And like, for me, that was like God using us in a miraculous way, right? And it was to protect her and to make her feel safe and to make these guys realize how sinful they were. Um, and that was what was, ha- that was a miracle. That's, we got to be a part of that. That's what was happening, you know? Um, and it turns out when God uses me in a miraculous way, he doesn't let me use the F word, which is crazy. Cause I say it all the time, <laughs> um, but it didn't come out of my mouth, uh, then when I really wanted it. Um, but the other thing it makes me think of is this like, this question, because it was so weird to have, you know, my college students who are just, they're so brilliant. They're at this incredible university. And to have them say like, well, what made them care? And the answer was nothing. And it's like, well, suffering. And it's, it, and I, I wonder, I mean, I, I think we can fetishize people in impoverished you know, economies, mm-hmm. because we can say, oh, well, you know, they, you know, they really know what it's like not to have anything. They really know what it's like to suffer. So that's why they believe in miracles. Right. And, you know, I push against that because in my own life, there's been so much suffering and I have needed so much rescue, despite the fact that I have all the physical resources and I have health, praise God, right? Right. I still know suffering so intimately now, and so I know the need to be cared for. And I think what we what we actually are 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 afflicted with in this country, especially as Christians, is it's our mo to look like we're not suffering and to hide our suffering, mm. especially Christians. Right? Thus, we don't need anybody to care for us.
0: I don't need a miracle.
1: No, I don't need a miracle. And that's—I
0: mean—that comparative suffering is just a absolute, deep, dark, uh, black hole. I think. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. agree. That's that's, a, that's important to say. I mean, like, uh, what is the Mary Carr says? The, the, the you know the most privileged person in this room has suffered the torments of the damned, and and like totally. you scratch the surface and you find out that there is a way to 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 distance yourself from. It's almost like a, it's almost a form of self-medication it's like an alcohol thing to to anesthetize yeah. yourself from your needs yeah. and that's that can last for a while um, yeah. and, and material comfort can be one of those
2: ways that's uh, just not available to some people um,
0: right RJ yeah
2: I think it's a shame thing a little bit too I think sometimes when well-resourced people are suffering, there's a, a shame which I shouldn't I should be able to handle this. Yeah. I mean they probably I should be able I'm, to figure
1: don't they verbally caveat to you like when they talk about pain in their lives? I yes. mean I don't yeah. Yeah. I,
2: I should know, be able to handle this. Like what what, yeah. what is wrong with me? I should yeah. be able to figure this out. Like I, I should be happy. I should be able to handle this kind of pain. And do you so you know the, what a first the, world so world problem the, is?
1: The, profound suicide. <laughs> yeah, like it's like yes. that's also, you know, like yes. oh my God.
2: And only when you and only when you acknowledge like I'm powerless against this, then maybe you you know make room uh, for for someone else to show up and help you out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we still want to. You, know, you ask. You actually ask. Like, I can't handle this. I'm sorry. I can't do this. Yeah. I'm not equal to this task. Mm-hmm. You know, save me.
1: Can I say one other thing? Because I of took a note down, and I just want to give a shout out to Simeon's all <clears> who said on the Brothers All podcast that you know, that sometimes God heals us and works through psychiatric medicine, through psychiatry. Yes. And I think, I I even think that miracles happen through psychiatry. So, you know, when we we live these lives where we're just, um, we're just missing the miracles, Mm. you know, so.
2: Well, talk to any doctor. And if they're telling the truth, they'll be like, we don't know how this works. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like
0: it's
1: Right. Just, hmm,
2: I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how this works.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: covering yeah. myself. Um, yeah. Well, that's it's a that's a very hopeful note, and I thought another hopeful note would be to kind of take this sort of slightly different tack. That is, uh, the uh, theologian Jim Nestigan, who is, uh, um, one of Gerhard Fer- uh, Ferdi's students, um, he died last week, and he he wrote this wonderful like introduction to the, the like catechism for Lutheran catechism for teenagers or something called free to be. And I always love this. This is a sort of a, a closing note addressing teenagers. It says, God has made a decision about you. He hasn't waited to find out how sincere you are, how devout or religious you might be. Now this is, by the way, exactly what the Dr. Chinatobi was saying. Totally. He said, he hasn't waited for you to find out how sincere you are or how devout or religious you might be or how well you understand the Bible. He hasn't even waited to find out if you were interested or willing to take this decision seriously. He has simply decided. God made this decision knowing full well the kind of person you are. He knows you better than anyone else could, inside out, upside down, and backwards. He knows where you are strong and where you are weak, what you are most proud of and what you would most like to hide. Be that as it may, God's decision is made. He comes straight out with it I am the Lord your God. This is the decision. God has decided to be your God. For God wants to be as close to you as your next breath, to be the one who gives you confidence and value, to open a future for you in the freedom of the word. God wants to be the one to whom you turn for whatever you need. I think that's a beautiful sort of um, word that that works in in concert with this uh, Holy Spirit, you know, miracle ministry. Um, yeah, and it sort of stands even when we do are disappointed that God has not uh, taken that thorn away or whatever it may be, um, or given us the career that we see online that uh, other people uh, have gotten that we feel we deserve. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any any closing thoughts or need another drink? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I just think we're all teenagers. If I've learned anything yes. about working with people who just stop being teenagers, it's that we're all actually just teenagers. At at our best, actually, I think we're dreamy and creative and trying to figure out who we are. And you know, I love that idea of God's embrace uh, and God wanting us to turn to Him in the midst of it.
0: We are all teenagers, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm dealing with a teenager right now, and uh, in the house, and uh, same girls. I am I really like that? Oh, I th- yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's a picture if i can love this this impossible person <laughs> yeah. through the temper tantrums and radical swings in mood then maybe god uh, can yeah. can love me too rj any any closing thought from you
2: just encouraged i'm encouraged to pray and to be honest about my disappointment there you go There's
0: RJ's resolution for 2023. (laughs) I love it. I won't make it into a, we won't, we won't hold you accountable, but we will make sure that that Sarah stops with the Madewell already. Yes, we will. Please do. do. Cut up the credit cards. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for, we'll talk. Happy new year. year. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. The Madewell already. Yes. We will. Please do. Please do. Cut up the credit cards. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for, we'll talk. Happy New Year. year. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.emberd.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info Audio production for the mocking cast is provided by TJ Hester. And if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time.